the one myth that would be lovely to, to debunk. And this is specifically kind of spoken to black, brown, queer, trans, marginalized people like that you're too of whatever to be a runner, you know? You're too tall, you're too fat, you're too short, you're too, you're too whatever. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. There is no bad time to find running. Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. How are you doing? How's the training going? Autumn marathon season is fast approaching and I imagine people who are preparing for London, Berlin, Chicago and New York are very much in the business end of their training programs. I know you're suffering. I hope it's going well. I hope the long runs are giving you life. Well, I can say quite frankly. Today's guest is taking on the Chicago Marathon and we caught up a couple of days ago to hear about how his training's going, but also to hear about his story as well. He's a writer, he's an extraordinary artist who's grown up in Chicago, in Illinois, moved to New York, and for the past five years has found a home in Berlin. He's an extraordinarily talented artist as well, just an extraordinary individual, and I had the great pleasure of chatting to him. We chart his story, we talk about art, we talk about running, and we also celebrate his birthday, which was only a week ago. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop talking and introduce today's guest, Daniel Marin Medina. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really excited to to launch into to your story, your experiences with running, and and wherever else this conversation may lead to. But I'm very aware that it was it was recently your birthday. Um, happy yes. 29th year in this world, and you've recently you. been a little under the weather. And I think that's always a that's always a tough one for for runners. Like how, what? How do you cope when you're not running? Are you a good person to be around, or do you do you sometimes struggle when you're when you're unable to run? Um. A bit of both. I, I think the the running relationship is very ebby and flowy, mm-hmm. but it's just it was a bit of unfortunate timing just because I've never been so committed to the training as I am right now. I have some some big goals for the fall, and a week out of a an eighteen week training plan just felt like like oh I'm missing the world. But when I like put it in perspective, this will be my twelfth marathon. And all of those other marathons I have ran on much less training, much less commitment. So I think a week of just like laying in bed is going to be fine in the long run. Oh, I didn't realize. So this is your tw- So you're quite the seasoned marathoner then. So what what is it this time that's made you real, really kind of double down and really like, because you said then this is the most committed you've been. What is it about this particular kind of roll of the dice that's made you really want to sort of redouble your efforts? It just feels like it's time. You know, when you, mm. you talk a, a big game about like being into running and like committing into running and, and you go around telling people about how wonderful running is, but then you sit down and you're like, oh wait, but I'm not, I'm not doing the running as, mm. as I, as I talk about it. Um, and in the, like the larger scope, I just want to put on a big show, like a really good show for my dad. So my dad lives outside of Chicago. Um, I'm training for the Chicago marathon. Mm-hmm. My fastest ever marathon was in Chicago. Um, so it's kind of poetically aligning that I get to go back there put on a really good show for my dad who has seen me race three marathons, one successful, two incredibly like embarrassing and devastating. So I just want to 
give the man a good show. He deserves it. Oh, that's lovely. Was your was your father was he a runner as well? Is that is that kind of where the lineage comes from? Like why why particularly for him? He was um like a pretty successful soccer player. Mm-hmm. Um, we're from Colombia, and I was not born with a soccer ball in hand. Let's just say that. Like, <laughs> I, I I cried at all the games. It was it was not for me. So and I also wasn't very like athletic growing up. But when I found running, it was like the first place where my body made sense. Um, and I really latched onto that. And the second that I like, no, not even the second, just from the jump, even when I was really terrible at it, my dad was so supportive um, to the point where like by my high school year, our house was a water stop on all our runs. He would bring like vitamin water to all the meats. He, he, he was such a big supporter. Um, and he's been a supporter since. Um, and I think like for me, it was really nice to be able to kind of give him this kind of construct of like, like a, like a sporty son, you know? Um, cause I also, I'm very artistic. That's what I do primarily, but I'm also queer. And I had my own internalized homophobia about like what that means is, as like a son. Um, so on just like a very basic level, it felt nice to be able to give my dad like a sport that he can kind of cheer for, mm. even though it ended up being running. That's <laughs> but int- it worked. Yeah, that's really interesting. That that sort of that compulsion for you to to give him something that he can kind of chime into is that has that been a journey to get to that process for, to get to this sort of level for you to feel kind of happy and comfortable in in giving that particular a giving a version that that's for him that he can enjoy. Does that does that make sense? I'm just quite interested in in the way you sort of phrase that then. I mean, in all honesty, it's it's driven by my own insecurities and my own kind of um, fears and doubts that go along with like the queer experience because mm. my dad has been only supportive and only loving and never has he said like, oh, I need an athletic son. Mm. But it was just these things that you feel like you kind of have to check off. Um, and it felt really nice to be able to do that. But now on this end of it, it's less so about this need to like, perform this thing that nobody ever told me I should perform and more so just he loves that I run he also started running now he he's done a couple races we check in on each other and and each other's training we have the same shoe size so he's like this little Colombian man in in Joliet Illinois with the latest and greatest Nike shoes <laughs> <laughs> I love that. um so it's just it's just a nice thing that we can share in yeah I love that. And just, I love the, just shout out to all of the kind of the support systems out there, the kind of the cheerleaders for all the runners. I just love the, I just love the image of him bringing the, the vitamin water and being the sort of water station on all the meats and stuff. Those support systems are, are so, are so important. And obviously you're aiming for the Chicago marathon, but part of your running journey started in Chicago, but obviously you're not from there originally. I've got sort of Colombia, New Jersey, Chicago, New York, and now Berlin is a kind of <laughs> a rough kind of geography of, of you. Like where, where did running kind of come into that, that sort of itinerary of, of various places you've been over the, over the course of your life? When I, when I moved to the Midwest, when I moved to Illinois, okay. um, prior to that, I had no athletic inclinations whatsoever. <laughs> um, it was not something that I was trying to seek out. It was just kind of like a, well, that will never be me. Um, but then I moved to Illinois and I don't know, it's just kind of this like defense mechanism of you, you want to kind of quickly find your people. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're just going to be like the new kid for forever. It mm-hmm. was also, um, like a very white town, a very 
like small little suburb outside of Chicago. Um, and I, there was this girl in my like pre-algebra class. Her name was Carolina Comperta. And to this day, I, I thank her wholeheartedly with kind of kickstarting my running journey. But she, she was known as a runner. And I, and I just, for whatever reason, like really latched onto that. Um, and I asked her one time, I got like the courage to see if I could go on a run with her. And, and I did, my dad picked me up after school and I was like, pa, uh, I need running shoes and I need running clothes. And we went to Marshall's and we got like these chunky Puma cross trainers and like a matching black and yellow Puma, like track suit. I looked like Missy Elliott. It was wonderful. <laughs> But Carolina, bless her, was relentless. Um, <laughs> okay. But since that day, I I, I latched onto it. Um, and how was that I, run? How was that oh, run with God, her? It was like, awful. It was awful. Like when I think back, I think it was only like a mile. <laughs> but I was I was gassed out, and she put me in my place, rightfully so. <laughs> mm. I love that as well. I love, I love the fact your dad just instantly drove you to Marshalls and bought the tracksuit and the trainers as well. Yeah, he's a he's a no nonsense man. And so, what was the journey post then? So, so it was initially because of a girl that your kind of journey started. So you had this kind of you were gassed out. You had this mile with with her. I mean, then how how did it kind of progress and develop from there? Because then at one point you were a, you were a captain of the high school cross country team as well. Was that was that whilst you were still in Illinois? Yes. Yeah. So this was, a. I met Caroline in junior high mm-hmm. um, and just started running since then. Uh, we, we kind of had this like frenemy thing where we, we both thrived because we competed with each other, both in like school, but also in running. Um, and then when I went to high school, I, I really got like pretty serious about it to the point where when I got into high school, um, the kind of race that we aimed for was conference, which was just like, the local schools in your area. Mm-hmm. But by my senior year, we were, we had like won our regionals, we were placing at sectionals. It was, it was a lot and and it was a lot of work, but I, I loved it. I, uh, it, it was such a big part of my high school journey to just like fall deep into cross country in the Midwest of all places where it's like, it's huge. It was really special. Why? Why did you fall so deep into it at, the, at that age? Was that part of like what you were saying earlier about finding your tribe? Did you feel like you sort of found your tribe to a certain extent as being part of that kind of cross country group? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think like runners and specifically distance runners are are huge nerds. It's it's this mm. weird combination of stubbornness and persistence and mild physical ability that like makes for good distance running. Um, but I also just really loved the fact that like, and it's why I, I, I started this team, co-founded this team, um, because it just works. Running is such a wonderful way to like reclaim bodily autonomy. And at a time when I was kind of growing into my sexuality, kind of discovering where pleasure lied on my body, running gave me this like really simple place to figure out that like, my body is powerful. My body is capable. My body can do incredible things. Um, and that all kind of transferred into life where if I was having a crappy day, I knew that I like destroyed those 400 meter repeats the other day. And, and that was, that was really powerful as a, as like a, a budding queer teenager. Mm. So what was the journey then with your, your kind of, your kind of sexuality then? Were you, had you, 
were you out by then during high school or was that like a later journey? Like how did that sort of, yeah, how did that sort of progress for you as you were kind of growing up and moving through high school and, and graduating and stuff like that? I mean, I've known that I was not heterosexual for about forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but back back in my day, um, <laughs> you still kind of had to do this sort of performative coming out thing, which I am not a proponent of anymore just because it's, it's not, it's nobody's business, you know, like, um, what do you mean when you say sort of performative coming out? Like it, it, there was a real kind of statement, like a, you oh had to God, really was, draw a line in the so, sand. Yeah, absolutely. It was right. so stressful. And you're like growing up and thinking that you have to do this thing and like tell the people you love. And now in hindsight, that energy I could have expended doing so many more productive things. Um, like if everyone should come out, you know, if that's the situation, everyone should come out, mm. but not just this select group few people should have to perform this thing that it can be like a great trauma mm. but i still did it and and i was very fortunate to have it be received with a lot of love and support but i did come out the year before i was set to be captain of the cross country team um and i do remember that there was like a a slight bit of pushback from my cross country coach at the time who just said like oh maybe this isn't like the business to share with everyone but then she came back maybe like a week after and let me know, like, no, we're going to do this. Like, we support you. And it was something that I'm very thankful for just because by the end of my senior year, um, like we had we had kind of a, a no-nonsense policy when it came to like bullying or just like saying dumb, ignorant stuff. Mm. And by the end of my senior year, it was really nice to see that like the sophomores or the the freshmen were being called out for like maybe saying a homophobic slur mm. and being asked to do push-ups and not having me be the one to to do that, you know? Like mm. we had some some allies really stepping up, which was really nice. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. that's I mean, it's so it's so incredible to hear and that and to get that sort of and yeah, the initial kind of trepidation maybe from the coach, but then the sort of support as well and just completely owning it as well as just yeah, extraordinary. Was there I mean, being captain as well, was there was there a sense of pressure as well like how now having been having come out and having people aware of your sexuality and being being uh being the captain and being in this position of responsibility did you feel pressure to sort of sort of almost represent as as a as a as a young gay man being a a captain of the cross-country team totally totally and and i think this is the case with like a a lot of people from marginalized backgrounds where Mm. you feel this burden of performing at like a higher level than anyone else because you don't want to, um, I don't know, set a bad example for lack of a better term. Um, like, but I, I do remember distinctly when I was running that, and it's still something that I kind of find it difficult to shake today, but I didn't want to be the first one to like slow down or the first one to say they were tired or the first one to like get water. Um, cause I saw that as like, I don't know, like the dumb just sign of weakness, you know, and, and I didn't want to give anyone any space to think that like, oh, it's because he's gay. Oh, it's because he's brown. Um, and now, I mean, all these years later, it's still, like I said, something that that kind of shakes my mind. Like I remember two-ish years ago, we would do these runs here in, in this forest in Berlin and a lot of the teams would kind of link up um, and do these really great runs, but it would end up being me, the lowly, brown gay boy and then just like a bunch of shirtless cishet men Mm. and 
I remember like we, we'd be going fast and, and there'd be so many times where I think like, fuck, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't want to be the first one to slow down for these same reasons, you know? And I think like stubbornness in, in my character kind of makes it so that this ends up being like working in my favor because I have to work a little bit extra hard. And, and sometimes I don't mind that, but it can be, it can be taxing. Yeah. yeah, especially within the context of running as well. And obviously I'm speaking from the perspective of also being a cis, you know, white man. And so I can't sort of truly contemplate or, or quantify your kind of lived experience, but like running is tough. It's hard, man. And like that, to have that extra pressure of like, now I'm not going to take water first or now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go the distance in these long reps or whatever the workout is like, you know, because running can be so cruel and sometimes seemingly unjust. I think that that added pressure of your own kind of um, uh, the mental pressure you're putting on yourself because of the, the the sort of group that you're part of. I think that's just, yeah, it's just an extraordinary extra pressure to give yourself. Like, and you say you're still, you still feel that even now, or are you kind of moving through that or coming to terms with it or, or dealing with it better, maybe? Much better. Dealing mm. with it much, much better. Um I think it's also just been like the amount of training that I've been doing these past weeks. I just have like more of a confidence in myself, in my body, in my abilities. And it's been nice to like, we had a a race recently, um, the city nights 10 K and it was so nice to just feel the level of calm that I had at the start, which can oftentimes just be like this weird man peacocking thing of like (laughs) men grunting and shouldering. And I was like, I look great. My little outfit is great. I know what plan I have to execute and I'm not going to like sway from that. Gun goes off and I executed the plan. I wanted to hit a 36 minutes for, for the 10K. I hit 3559 and I was like, I, I did the thing and I didn't have to prove anything to anyone. You know, it was just like me executing a plan. Um, and that has only come with a lot of years of of running and a lot of years of like going out way too fast and doing way too many sets just because you think that, or I thought that I have to prove something to someone. Um, But ultimately like no one cares. So so true. Yeah. It's so true. That's such a thing to always underline. Like ultimately the person who cares the most is, is you, I think. And to, to arrive at that place of, of, of Zen and calm and to be able to execute. And yes, you, I, I saw that particular outfit for that race actually on your Instagram. You did look amazing and you right, smashed it. It was a good one. Yeah. Really good fit. And you, you smashed it. You got your PB. So let's circle back then and go, let's sort of trace the steps of that journey then almost to, to that place of sort of real ownership and confidence in your own body's ability. So going back Chicago, Captain of the high school cross country team. So when did when did you move to New York then? And what was the progression there with your running as you kind of changed locale? So I moved to New York um, after I graduated high school, uh-huh. and I studied illustration at Parsons School of Design, and then I stuck around for two years after. Um, and even at Parsons, so like it's it's an art school, it's it's a design school. There was there was no athletics, but by the year that I graduated. Um, through a lot of like just cajoling and annoying people and like linking up with the right people. We managed to get together a team that like competed intramurally. We were the narwhals. We had really cute little outfits. Um, but I think because of that, I ended up somehow on like like a little Nike community outreach radar mm-hmm. and they reached out to me and 
again, the universe just put the right people in the right place. And by my senior year, I remember that I invited one of these people who was like the community leader in Nike NYC. His name is Pat Jeffers. Um, I invited him to my thesis show and he was like, oh, no, I can't make it. But would you like to be a pacer for Nike Run Club? Um, and that kind of spurred this, this second wind of running that I don't think I would have had had I not had this kind of support. Because all of a sudden, it was realization that like, oh, while I was away, running is now sexy and like cool. And there's money behind it. And there are teams being built and, and there's like races. Because um, running was not cool for a majority of my running life. I, that, and I think that's a really interesting point. And something again to, to underline is that running has had uh, only recently this this renaissance of being very cool, very sexy, very, very appealing. And for someone who'd been through the kind of the kind of classic thing of, you know, school cross country, to have gone away and to to have studied illustration will definitely come onto your art as well. I've been looking at your artwork. It's beautiful. <laughs> thank um, you, thank you. To then come back and be like, oh, hang on a second. R running's had a bit of a makeover. Was that was that a bit of a shock from your kind of school cross-country time? It was wild. I remember going out for my little runs in high school and getting called all sorts of expletives. Um, and now all of a sudden it was like, oh, look at these new split shorts. And I was like, I, I, I was doing split shorts before they were cool. All right. So chill. Don't talk to me about split shorts. Um, but yeah, it, I, I always say it was this like weird golden era of running where all of a sudden it was sexy. Like when did marathoning get sexy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's madness. I'm not upset at it. You know, I'm, I'm benefiting. I'm here pro like profiting left and right. But, um, but it is just so crazy to think that like, going from wearing these polyester uniforms because our team didn't have the budget to now have like alpha fly next percent which is like the sexiest shoe and it's so pretty i'm like what happened like how how did we get here what what would you put that down like putting your kind of artist's cap on like i imagine when you were studying illustration you look you studied periods and movements of art like what what do you think has turned the wheel so to speak in running from like you say turning marathon which was sort of almost kind of perceived as a bit of a victorian freak show into this thing that i mean literally this morning i've just been uh, gushing over the uh, the men's and women's marathon at the european championships not far from you in, in in munich and being like oh my god it's so cool but yeah what what's kind of what do you think has been part of that process in making it into this cool sort of sexy thing I mean, from a design perspective, I think running had a really good manager or running had a really good marketing team mm. and they and they packaged it really nicely. Um, but at least from my perspective, and I only had like my own perspective to go on, but like the work that Nike NYC was doing, like really changed the landscape of running as a whole, mm. where like once I left and NRC kind of dissolved, now you had all of these different teams that that were born from these Wednesday home runs in Central Park where you'd have like 300 people showing up to run. It was madness, but like it really took just kind of putting some money into the community, paying pacers, paying coaches to host these things. Um, I remember the head coach from Nike NYC, Julia Lucas, would always say about how like, it's just these grown-ups who work their jobs every day and then they want to like kind of unplug from that and just show up to these workouts and have you tell them what to do, you know? Just like the simple act of like doing the team sport. 
But through that, you started seeing these little like groups form. And then once NRC kind of broke apart, you have Brooklyn Track Club and you have We Run Uptown. And and it was it was really special to see. And I think that kind of happened everywhere. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that like it was entirely Nike's hand because a lot of other brands were doing similar things. But from my perspective and like for me personally, it took this guy, Pat Jeffers and, and um, coach Chris Bennett to hand me a pair of shoes, hand me a pair of shorts and say, hey, we have a workout at Icon Stadium at this time. Do you want to go? It took that for me to be like, oh, shit, I, I guess I'm back into running now. I love that. I love that. And it's you, you articulate it so brilliantly. Is It's that, that kind of initial investment almost from, from a brand, not necessarily Nike, because you're right, the other brands were doing it, but Nike feel like they really did. I mean, they felt like they're kind of synonymous, particularly with that, that period, but that kind of initial investment then, you know, breeds all of these other groups sort of blossoming out, out of the wake of it, which I think is... The legacy I think people are still seeing to today, I think that kind of that ecosystem has kind of blossomed. Just to cycle back, what was your thesis show when you were graduating art college? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just curious. So, um so a lot of my work deals with sexuality mm. and bodies and the overlap of the two. So for my senior thesis show, I drew 186 men from Grinder. I don't know if you know the oh, the dating the, app, the gay dating app. The sort of like the it, dating it, app is putting it nicely. Um, <laughs> but it's like it's sort of uh, again, this is me showing my naivety here. But like it, you, you can find men in the area that you can hook up with, basically. Like yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's it's I've done um. More, I had done at that point like a lot of projects on the app. I, it was just something that was incredibly fascinating to me as like I think queer and, and gay male sexuality kind of has always centered around these spaces. You had like physical spaces that you could go to and meet people. And now the reality is that like we have this global community that kind of lives on this app. And I just found it fascinating, also terrifying because it, fosters a lot of like racism and and body shaming um but i did this project where like i had lived in the city at that point for three and a half years mm -hmm. and um i had had like moved around these spaces very limited but i was like let me take advantage of this app let me take advantage of the skills that i have and it became this kind of weird anthropological study of gay men in new york um, and How I did you proposition around. it to 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 the men? I mean, like, did you kind of lay your cards on the table and be like, "I'm doing this project"? Like, how did it actually work for that? How many? 186. 186. 186. I mean, that's um, extraordinary. How, yeah. How did it sort of like plan out when you were? Did, yeah. How did you bring it up with people? I kind of ended up at like a like a formula that worked, uh -huh. um, where I would send this like, "Hello, my name is this. This is what I'm doing." And once I also had kind of some examples of the work, it became a bit easier. Um, I'm also not ignorant to the fact that I definitely privileged from, I'm not the worst looking. And, and I think initially that helped me kind of get my gay foot in the gay door. Mm -hmm. um, but I also kind of pride myself on being good at this weird skill of making people comfortable enough that they kind of open up and let me draw them. And mm. I'm also really good at drawing. 
You are. Um, you very much are. I've seen you. I mean, we should you. shout out your your other Instagram account, which I will link. These sort of beautiful portraits uh, of of men that yeah, I don't have the artistic vocabulary to describe them, but they're very compelling. Slightly abstracted, like I got like Francis Bacon vibes from, from some of them. Is that a beautiful. good thing? You went ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's okay. A great ooh. <laughs> okay. Cool. Sorry, but I, I cut in there. But just to sort of underline, Daniel is a very good artist. Check him out. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> um. No, but that that just kind of became the work. And um, by the end, it was like a thing that like I'd go on Grindr to to do this work. And then people would message me like, oh, you're the guy who who draws people. Uh, or okay. or I'd, I'd message someone and be like, oh, you drew my ex-boyfriend. I'd be like, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Did but people was, start to ask to see like other things that you drew? Like if they had a connection like ex-boyfriends or partners, did, did they want to see the work? It it kind of went in tandem with like kind of the the rise of Instagram as okay. a space that creatives use because it became a super easy way to just point people to the work that I was doing. Uh, okay. Um, there's also kind of a long lineage of artists that kind of take advantage of me of these spaces that they set up. Um, mm. And I did not want to do that. Um, so I, I was from the jump pretty clear with my intentions of I'm not looking for sex. Like I'm not, this is not something that I'm trying to take advantage of. Mm. Um, and there were only a few instances where I think people were upset that maybe that expectation wasn't met that they had in their head or that I wasn't willing to like match their interest. Um, mm. but for the most part, it was just like, a really special and lovely way to get around the city. I met some incredible people and it like still today influences a lot of the work that I do where it's mostly just, I love drawing people from life and like having conversations. And what is that experience like? Cause it's incredibly, I imagine having never done it, but like incredibly intimate connection when you are capturing someone's essence and distilling it into movements with a pen or a pencil on, on paper like how how long did you on average sit with your subjects when you were drawing them is it is it a long process is it is it a short process it was as long as it needed to be but mm -hmm. i also was very aware of the fact that like oh i am in a stranger's home in new york and no one knows that i'm here mm. um so let me like just do the work as fast as i can while also getting what i needed but I, i'm also i think i have a good judge of character where like i said there are only a couple of times where i think one guy like ended up ripping up my drawings and kicking me out because i wouldn't have sex with them that's all right the drawings were not that good anyway okay um but for the most part i it was it's like a really good experience and yeah just it just worked out really nicely um but i don't i never took it lightly and i still don't like if people are offering me their time and giving me access to their time, their body, their, their conversation, their story, which a lot of times, like, I'm not kind of prying for information, but I do want to have conversations about like sexuality and your body, which can bring up a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I don't take that lightly. I, I take what I do very seriously. And I, and I do just ultimately want people to leave with a good experience, you know, like something that they can take with them as well. And then I also have just like a really lovely set of drawings to remind me of that experience i love that i love the respect for it as well and the respect like you say for for that that connection and taking people's 
time and their stories and, and treating that in a, in a respectful way. And I'm by no way comparing the two, but I always do feel like a sort of slight sort of grain of sort of solidarity and that feeling when I'm asking people to to come on the podcast and be like, tell me everything in intimate mm, detail. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's always important to be sort of reminded of that. Like, so when you had done, when you completed all 186, like as part of the thesis, like, what were the what were the biggest things that you kind of took away from that experience? Were there things that really kind of took you by surprise, perhaps that you hadn't expected, or things that you kind of things that were confirmed to you, like having gone through that extraordinary journey? Loads of things. It was it was a really kind of special journey into sexuality because so much of sexuality is about like having it reflected back at you. You mm-hmm. have these things that kind of live in your head and your body, but they become really concrete and and real when you have them reflected back in you and you have either someone or someone's tell you, Oh no, this is also true. And, and it, mm-hmm. and it lives here on my body. And like, how can we join that together? Um, so to just be able to speak to so many men mostly they they were mostly men mm-hmm. um about their sexuality their journey their hopes and fears in regards to that was very affirming for me um and it also just kind of took a, a bit of the the veil of mystery off of it because it's primarily like a gay hookup app you know and mm-hmm. and a lot of times like people say they're going into this with a specific intention but i managed to find 186 people who were very willing to like sit for something that lived very far outside of a gay hookup. Um, Mm. And that was really lovely. Also just this thing of, I think, queer men who are also seeking out community, who are also seeking out like friendships that didn't come from someone you hooked up with and then you ended up being friends with, you know, like Mm. it was, it was, it was, uh, it was very special. I love yeah. that. And I love, yeah, challenging the kind of the stereotype of that particular app and being like, well, no, look, I found these 186 people to have a sort of real connection with and, and create art out of it as well, I think is is extraordinary. And do you think going, jumping forward in our sort of timeline to to that Daniel stood on the start line of the 10K, do you think that process like is part of your journey of solidifying your own kind of confidence and your own kind of um, sense of peace with your with your body and your sexuality. Do you think that whole project was kind of part of that? Maybe um, indirectly, it, mm. but I do think it's all kind of intertwined. Mm-hmm. Like in 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 art school, a lot of times, like you'd have these professors who who would say, like, "Oh, don't force it. Like, eventually, you'll find your hand." You know, and it's just like kind of finding your style, finding what works for you, and and finding your hand. And I think there is like a parallel to that in running where it's like just finding your legs. Like you can do this thing and, and put the work into it, but at a certain point, at, it just kind of, it just clicks mm. where it just makes sense and your body knows how to do this thing. Like now I have the confidence of, give me a pen and a piece of paper. I know how to navigate. I know how to move in and around it and end up with the thing that I feel happy about. Um, and now it's a similar thing with running. I know that my body knows how to do it. My legs know how to do it. It makes sense. And I get to just kind of enjoy the experience without thinking about doing the thing because mm. it just it just kind of performs itself at this point, which is really lovely. And, and I know that it comes from like a place of privilege to be able to get to that point, but, um, but I haven't put it in the work. 
for, yeah. for both. Yeah. And it's such a sweet, it's a lovely place to be when it just, yeah, happens without, without thinking autonomously. It just, this thing kind of blossoms from, from, like you say, from putting in all of that work. Um, so New York to Berlin, what's that journey? Why, why the sort of, why the journey across the Atlantic over, over to Europe and, and yeah, what was, what's the story behind that? And where was your running and where was your art as well? Cause have the two, have the two intersected? Am I right in thinking that you've, your, some of your artwork has bled into like running apparel as well, that you've designed stuff that's ended up being running clothing or am I making that up? No, you, you're not making that up. Okay. Um, I think in, it was 2020, unfortunate timing COVID wise, but I mm. ended up um, doing a fast capsule collection with Nike, which so is cool. still something that I'm super proud of. Um, but from New York to Berlin, New York is a very difficult place to live. And it's still mm. the only place that I've ever called home. But by the end of my time there, it was just like, why am I fighting so hard to be in a place that isn't making me happy? And I started to see that some people who were just like, their essence was New York for me. They started to leave. This woman, Julia Lucas, who I mentioned, she was the head coach of Nike. She is an incredibly talented runner. Um, but she, I remember we went to get like dim sum and she told me, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm going to, to get my master's in writing. And I was like, Jesus, if Julia is leaving, then like I should probably head out too. Um, and again, the stars really aligned on this one where I had gotten into the Berlin Marathon mm. and you get in about like a year in advance. And I thought, well, what if I like live there for a little bit? And I scraped together some dough and managed to visit here in February of 20, I don't know the year, but in February of the year prior mm -hmm. um, and had like a wonderful four days. It was, it was, it was really special. Most of it was spent in a club, but it worked out. It was great. <laughs> and then I went back and from February to August, when I like finally decided to move, things just really fell into place. I, I managed to have this little, um, a solo show in like the Lower East Side, which was fan, like just wild for me to think about. Mm -hmm. I sold enough drawings that it, like I had a little money in the bank and I just packed up and, and moved here. Um, and now we're five years deep into like life in Europe, life in Berlin, which was never the plan, never the expectation. Um, but it's been it's been a hell of a journey. Five years. Well, I didn't realize you'd been there that long. Um, yeah. I mean, how did the two sort of running ecosystems compare, like New York to, to Berlin? Was it like when you were saying earlier, like that how some people like New York is their is their essence? And I've I visited New York a couple of times and there is like a there's a strong energy that city reverberates that is very intense. Like, is, is there a different energy to sort of Berlin in terms of like the running ecosystem there that you've kind of noticed in the five years you've been there? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a just a huge difference um, on a whole. Running-wise, mm. it was, I mean, it's it's a bit harder to like describe running in Germany as sexy. Um Although I think with the team that I co-founded with Huen, um, we're maybe passively trying to change that just because anytime you get together like a group of wonderful BPOC queer people, it's going to be sexy. That's just a matter of fact. <laughs> um, but it is, it is just kind of this thing of like trying to make 
not trying to, but just making running more cool, like more interesting, more welcoming, more inviting, um, which when I got here, I mean, part of the reason why we co-founded this team, I moved here a year prior to Huen. And once she moved here, she was just kind of like, there's not space for us. You know, I think we both benefited from this privilege of we had the clothes, we, we had done the races, we could go to any run club and, and kind of be welcomed. But there's a difference between showing up and kind of having to explain your existence than just getting to show up and, and do the thing, mm. which is what we're trying to do with the team where it's primarily like, I think almost entirely people of marginalized communities, queer people, women, and it really changes the energy when you have the leadership be a brown woman and a queer man that people don't have to kind of like this thing that I was saying of performing like the exceptional marginalized person. Mm. I think we're trying to foster a space where people don't feel like they have to do that. Um, so they can stop if they feel tired, like you were saying earlier, like they can get that water first. Like they don't sort of, yeah, perform in the way that perhaps you might have, like you were articulating earlier that you felt there was a need for you to like keep going and push harder. Like, yeah, yeah, that- yeah. Cause that's just, there's just a waste of time mm. and you don't get to enjoy running as like a pure thing. Yeah. If you're having to kind of check what a look means or why people are kind of like asking about your body or um, like none of that, none of that. And, and by no means am I saying that we're perfect, but we're trying to foster that space. Um, so it, it was a, a bit of a, a jump coming from New York to Berlin in that sense that like in New York, there's just heaps of run clubs and it's, it's just kind of sexy and you get to go to like the West side highway or central park and, and you see all these runners and here, I remember one time I saw a lady on the track doing a workout in jeans, like full denim jeans. Wow. I thought, ma'am, I will give you my shorts. <laughs> I, I, I like, please, I don't, I don't understand it, but it's just, it's just a different culture. Um, but running is everywhere and, and there's interest everywhere. And I think it would be very dismissive of me to say that like, oh, it's just not as cool in the city. That's not true. There, there's so much energy. There's so much excitement. The Berlin Marathon is here for a reason. Mm. Um, it's just been a very different journey that I was kind of used to at that point after having lived in New York for that long. Well, let's get into this 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 team, this community, this this run club that you you found you co-founded. This is this is the Wavy Collective, right? So Wave Run Collective, yes. Wave Run Collective. So when did this start? Where did it well, you kind of touched on where the idea came from. I'm always interested in the beginnings of communities because often when I um privileged and fortunate enough to connect with various run crews as I have through the journey of this podcast, it's always when they've kind of broken through. I hate that term, but you know what I mean? They've become established that they've kind of reverberated around the running ecosystem. So people start to hear of them, but I'm always interested in sort of day one, run one, the beginnings of it. Like, so what was that process like for you? What was that journey like? And yeah. And how did it sort of blossom and grow into, into what it is now? Yeah. So Hewan and I linked up in, in 2018. Um, I remember we were having these like delicious turmeric matcha lattes and I was just in our little sketchbook. I was designing the the early logo. We were going through like what to call it. We wanted something with like movement and 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 there was waves and then like so it just kind of aligned there. Initially it was a lot of just 
like friends of friends, a lot of people that I knew from like the club scene who I tricked into coming to join us for a run. Um, but from day one, Hune and I were both very clear about the fact that like, even if it's just us two, this thing is going to exist to some mm -hmm. capacity. It's going to, it's going to work. We also, it's been a whole journey of kind of realizing that like, we're not only asking people to run, we're asking people to show up, to be visible, to maybe represent for a larger community um, than just themselves. Um, and that takes energy, that takes work. Um, because on top of that, we're also asking you to show up and run. Mm. So it's been kind of a, a journey of accepting and understanding that this is going to be an open door that people can come in, get what they need. Um, and then if that's done, they can exit. Um, cause it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work to like maintain a community. It's a lot of unpaid labor that a lot of emails, a lot of Excel sheets, a lot of back and forth that like, um, I don't think if I'm being honest, I was kind of expecting, but at this point, especially this season, we have so many fantastic people on the team, like such good energy, people who are like taking initiative for doing things themselves and, and showing up to, I remember we had our first, we usually do Wednesday practice at 6.30 PM, mm -hmm. but it's been very hot. So we had our first one in the morning, like 7 AM. And I thought, it's just okay. gonna be me and Hugh and, yeah. <laughs> and so many people showed up and I'm like, guys, it's seven in the morning on a Wednesday. What are you doing here? Love that. But it's 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 lovely to kind of see this thing just working. And um, from an external perspective, just seeing it be recognized for like how special of a thing it is that I don't, I honestly can't tell you of another run club that is queer led, that is female led, that is specifically trying to make space for black, brown, queer, marginalized, underrepresented people in the sport. Um, and that's on one end, like a bit of a shame, you know, it's 2022, let's, let's get to, to doing the thing. But on the other hand, it makes me very protective of this thing that, that we built and we're building, um, just cause it's, I don't know, it's very special. Yeah. And it's extraordinary yeah. that the work you've been doing, and I think work is, is a really key word there. And you touched on it then in, in your responses that, you know, when, again, when, when it pops up on my Instagram feed, it's like, oh, cool, this looks fun, but it doesn't quantify exactly what you just said of the Excel spreadsheets, the emails, the corralling of getting everyone together to go for a run. But like you said, there's this extra layer of not pressure, but extra, there's an extra weight because you're asking people, like you say, to be, to come and represent for um, underrepresented or marginalized communities as well. Like, can you kind of unpack that a little a little bit more because i think that's quite an interesting thing because like you say it's an it's an important thing that that these individuals are doing because they are coming to stand as representatives for for a community that needs more representation like it's it's a double ask almost what you're, you're asking these these people to do to be part of the to be part of the group that you're creating yeah and 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 it is kind of an ask that we don't expect everyone to be able to fulfill because mm -hmm. um, primarily the whole purpose is to just get more marginalized people to benefit from the real like positive aspects of doing this sport, you know, um, where like marginalized bodies, black bodies, brown bodies, queer bodies, trans bodies are so often the ones that are like 
poked at and prodded and said, you're too much of this and not enough of that. Mm. So to get to the track and to reclaim some power in your body, um, which is what I experienced as like a budding queer baby and what Hewan experienced when she found running, that's what we want people to, to, to really tap into. Um, the other stuff is extra. If you can show up to a race and kind of be visible for people who look like you, for other people from your community, bonus, fantastic, great. Um, but if not, that's also great too. Like you just experienced the thing. You just experienced the joy because mm. then this energy that you get from this, you can apply to your work, to your art, to your relationships, to your friends. Um, and that's more beneficial than than the other stuff. Like mm. the, the performance aspect of it, I think Hewan and I have, have kind of taken on not the burden but just the work of being very visible mm. and and allowing people into our lives to maybe a larger degree that sometimes we would like to but it's because we know how and not to be like presumptuous but we just see that it works you know like if i can show another brown little gay boy somewhere that they can do this thing that they can like start a team that makes it all worthwhile you know mm. um but a lot of times it is kind of this this visibility is also a labor that we do hope that the people on our team can kind of take on as well. But it's by no means something that we demand of them, by no means something that like we require of them. Um, primarily, it's just just show up, run, enjoy it, feel good, feel sexy, feel strong, and then take that into your life. Mm. And you're right as well. You sort of said that even if they perhaps don't feel comfortable in taking on the responsibility to sort of be, be an ambassador, there still is that sense of reverberation in their own lives and in their own work as well that like will, it will permeate in some way, shape or form if they haven't, you know, truly not, you know, fully taken up the opportunity to be, to be a, a representative. And I, I'm interested in that idea of, of it bleeding into, into your own work. I mean, as your kind of journey with, with running and creating this community out in, out in Berlin has, has developed and blossomed. I mean, have you seen the ripple effects of that in, in the art that you produce? Are you still following that same sort of trajectory in the kind of work you produced or has it, has it influenced or, or shifted the direction of your kind of output as, a, as an artist? It's been like an ongoing journey of peaking but never hitting the peak, mm -hmm. um, both in the running and, and in the art. And um, this past birthday, I felt like a lot of pride in the fact that I've never been this committed to the running. I've never felt this secure in the running, but on the other end of that, like I've also never felt this secure in my body or this proud of the work that I'm making of the stuff that I'm writing of the, the stuff that I'm like producing. Um, and that is, it's a lovely privilege to be able to have, um, to like bring into a new year that, there's always like another place to get to. There's always another kind of milestone to hit and not for the sake of, of like feeling this pressure. And, and we feel it a lot specifically in running of like, oh, I need to hit this time. Mm. But if you only measure your success on a time, then all of that time that you spend training and whatever, it's, it's just wasted. Like that's where the success is. Like how many times did you show up for yourself? Mm. Um, so it's been... I don't know it's been very important to kind of go on this journey of 
peaking but never hitting the peak both mm -hmm. in the running both in the art and in, in everything there and there's always work to do which is can be kind of daunting to think about um but complacency just isn't something that fits my narrative mm, i love that and you articulate something that i think a lot of runners will chime with i think and myself as well as as a runner that sort of the obsession on a on a pb or a pr can often it's like that john lennon quote of like life is what happens when you're making plans like the, mm. the things that you kind of almost miss when you're so focused on that one specific almost kind of arbitrary and ultimately meaningless goal like the other opportunities that can sometimes pass you by and i think it's about sort of striking striking that balance but looking forward like you know and just coming at the end of your birth week looking forward you know in the next chapter your, your sort of next sort of forthcoming year obviously we've got the the chicago marathon but like what are your plans for for the community that you're building there like i mean are there are there bigger goals bigger kind of aspirations things that you'd, you'd like to maybe hopefully achieve or or is it more of a focus on your on your artwork or you as an artist like yeah what's what's the future hold i mean i would be lying if i said that like i'm not looking forward to the month off of running after the marathon okay. um just because everything smells like sunblock all the time <laughs> and the laundry it's it's and it's summer running it's just like short mm. shorts and, and like a, a tank top and it's so much laundry but i'm very excited to after the marathon kind of fall that deeply into the art and just whatever like in like a full marathon training plan but art looks like i want to do that i want to i want to mm. wake up and and just put on my little things and and go through my little rituals and just make a bunch of stuff like a bunch, like stuff that just makes me very excited mm. um i want to do that but for for the team specifically um i think we all need a little break after the fall just like a little little rest is is very important in the training plan we are not mm -hmm. ones who are proponents of this full gas all the time that no you need you need to rest you need to recover um and there are seasons of running for for a reason but i would love to i think here and i have had like lofty goals of of just creating a community space for the team mm. one where just pragmatically like we can keep our stuff when we run but on a on like a larger scale we can let the team use it to host meetings or to have photo shoots or to do like co-working spaces um like a just offer this other resource that the team can have access to i think that would be like a really nice goal to add to the list of this next year of wave run collective yeah mm, i think as well that 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 want um for a physical space is something that i've heard echoed by other kind of run group community leaders as well and i think there's a there's a real opportunity there for for the for the real stakeholders in the sport who have the means to perhaps execute those kind of wishes to really leave a proper legacy i think with these communities that they sometimes partner with and i think that that want for a physical space i think is um is is something that would be awesome to see brought out you know where you are in berlin here in london and wherever else these communities find themselves because that's that's something i hear articulated a lot and i think yeah hopefully well i'm, I'm manifesting it daniel i'm yeah, manifesting same, it same. i'm manifesting but i'm also manifesting the sort of uh that beautiful analogy of a marathon training block for an artist like your what your sunday your sunday long run of of painting your your threshold session of of sketch work i think yeah that sounds 
equally equally exciting i think the future generally just sounds sounds really really exciting and as this whole conversation has been and i'm very conscious of not taking up too much of your time so just to close things out i normally ask these sort of expansive questions at at the end of the interview and i'm always very interested to sort of see how the guests interpret them so for you, looking back over your running journey from from Illinois to, to Berlin and everything in between, I mean, has there been a particular failure that has taught you something quite valuable in your journey as a as a runner? Yeah. Uh Berlin Marathon twenty nineteen. Okay. <laughs> Unpack um, it. Let's talk about it. It was so when I was a pacer for NRC, I would always kind of like calm people down and let them know, like, this isn't your job. You're supposed to enjoy this. This isn't your job. But it was the first time where I kind of realized to some extent it had become my job. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was like a performance that was expected and it was, it was so much pressure. Um, and I was training really hard, but for running. And something that I'm doing different this year is a lot of strength training, a lot of just like being a, a well-rounded athlete, not mm-hmm. just running, but at this time I was exceptionally good at running and nothing else. Um, and my body, I was not resting. I was not like recovering properly. All of the runs were just full gas all the time. And I remember that I got to maybe like two weeks out from the the marathon and my left Achilles tendon was just like, Hey babe, we're not, this is not going to happen. We're not, we're not going to do this. Oh, and my dad had come or was planning to come all the way from Chicago to watch me run this race. So I had all this pressure. And, and the Saturday before a marathon, like the rituals are very important to me, very important. And the Saturday before a marathon, I want to do my shakeout and then go home, put my feet up, rub them, eat plain pasta, watch the spirit of the marathon and breaking two and then go to bed. You know, I love it. That's what I want. And this, this, for this particular race, like we hosted a shakeout, we had this captain's dinner, we had so many things. And I got home like at 7 PM, the Saturday before the marathon, I hadn't eaten yet. I was super cranky. My dad was here and I was like, I have to run a race tomorrow. I have to run like supposedly like my fastest marathon tomorrow. Um, it was not on the stars. It was a devastating race through the half. Uh, because I was like hopped up on painkillers, I was fine. I was flying. I was running with Carly Gill, incredibly talented runner. Um, but at the halfway point, I tapped on the shoulder. I was like, Carly, babe, it's my time. Like, go on, go with mm-hmm. God. And she ended up running her Olympic time qualifier. So uh, shout out to Carly. But I had the most devastating back half of a marathon. It was just me crying and... Um, I had the the be true vape, vapor fly, which like very few people had at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was just like this giant peacock, this gay peacock, this the this most visible as possible, just crying his way through the half back of the marathon. And I was I was just running to my dad. I knew he was going to be at thirty seven k. I was just running to my dad, running to my dad. He ended up around like forty k ish because he had to move positions, whatever. Um, and I'm trying to hop over the barricade, but he's like, no, mijo, keep going. I'm like, oh, I don't want to keep going. But um, a good friend of mine, Peter John, also lives in London, who at that point just like kind of became this like little guardian angel. 
I hear from, from behind me, no fucking way, mate. And he picks me <laughs> up off the ground and he made sure that I got to the end. Um, he took me to the medical tent, but it was, it was incredibly embarrassing and incredibly devastating. And after that race, I kind of just like shut off. I, I shut off. And, um, so the, the failure was that I kind of put this weird pressure on myself and like, and the learning was, babe, no one cares. Like, just enjoy it. Have fun. Like, yes, put in the work, but like, listen to your body, you know? And I think that's what we're trying to implement now. We're like, yeah, I have, I have lofty time goals and I have things that I want to execute, but the, the journey has been a lot of fun. The commitment has been a lot of fun. Um, so whatever happens on October 9th, whatever. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I was, in, I was enthralled in that story. Oh, it was, it was, it was <laughs> tense just hearing you sort of recount that, that, that experience, but it's so true. Just take, take that pressure off yourself. Oh, it's such an important I'm gonna, thing. I'm going to send you the, the photos from this race. Cause there's like a, like a triptych of me through the half or like before the half, oh, just no. flying, looking so cute, like <laughs> smiling at the camera, mm. but you can see the, the tape on my left Achilles and then halfway through, I'm struggling. Oh my God. And then the last one is me with a, a glove full of ice, um, taped around my ankle, just crying, looking a mess. It's <laughs> so dramatic. Oh my God. Yeah. The, the narrative, the sort of the beautiful kind of, uh, dramaturgy that is a, a, a marathon experience. Oh yeah. man. Oh, so, so stressful. And you were talking then about your, your ritual and I'm, I'm a, a big believer in, in rituals. Sometimes I almost have to get away from it sometimes, but yes. I'm also quite obsessed with the idea of ritual and a myth as well. And this kind of leads me to um, my sort of second expansive question that I tend mm. to ask my guests. Are there any myths out there within the space of running that you'd like to take this opportunity to debunk? I think there are, there are tons. We both know tons of myths like you gotta have pasta the friday before the race and mm. but like on a on a larger kind of macro scale i think the one myth that would be lovely to, to debunk and this is specifically like kind of spoken to black brown queer trans marginalized people like that you're too of whatever to be a runner you know you're too tall you're too fat you're too short you're too you're too whatever that's nonsense it's nonsense. There is no bad time to find running. All you need is a good pair of shoes and maybe like a friend who is a runner to kind of help you with your form so that you don't run in a funky way. And then you think, oh, I have bad knees. No, babe, you're just running silly, like chill. Um, but it's this thing of that you're too whatever to be a runner. There, there's no such thing as like, you have to look a certain way Sure. On the fastest end of the, of the running spectrum, a lot of athletes look a certain way, but we're not trying to do that. We're just trying to like, have fun, have a good time. Look cute. Got a cute race photo. You know? Love that. I love yeah. that. There's no bad time to be a runner. I think that's such a, a lovely sentiment to carry through and just a perfect way to, to sort of finish off what has been a lovely conversation. Daniel, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad that you're on the, the road to recovery. I'm glad you've still got time before Chicago, but I know ultimately that when you do toe the line, you'll be zen, but you also take that pressure off yourself. And yeah. thank you again for being such a, a brilliant, extraordinary guest on The Big Run. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for the space to, to speak. It was, was a lovely talk. 
a big thank you to Daniel for coming on the show, sharing his story. If you are interested in his artwork, I'll link that in today's show notes, along with the Wavy Run Collective as well, so you can see all the work that he is doing out there with the group in Berlin. Berlin. Berlin Marathon, fast approaching, along with London, Chicago, New York, and all of those autumn marathons. I hope if you are training and you're listening to this episode, I hope it's going well. I hope you are enjoying the process. And I hope you can maybe take comfort in some of the extraordinary and lovely insights that Daniel shared in this episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us with The Big Run and supporting the podcast. We've got an incredible lineup of guests to see through the end of summer and into autumn with more exciting things planned. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week for The Big Run.